0: Next in nonprofits, I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Dominique Kalik, leader of Dom Profit. She's a thought leader and fundraiser in our field. Dominique, thanks so much for taking the time to come talk with me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to to engage in this conversation with you.
0: Um, I asked you here on a, a connection that you helped me make about some very specific work you do, and I want to get into that in just a moment. But before we dive into that topic you've been talking and thinking about for a while, can you just introduce your work uh, and how you came to this space in the nonprofit world?
1: Yeah, so I would say that I have six years of professional fundraising experience where I've been in a traditional fundraising role and in the nonprofit sector. But like many of my um, black and brown counterparts in the space, I have a long history of being involved with nonprofits and in the fundraising space in more untraditional ways that don't technically get counted as traditional experience, even though it's really informed how I think about fundraising and how I go about working in this sector. So I am a long time committed nonprofit professional in my mind, even though many would say that I'm not. Um, I spend most of my time really just trying to support nonprofits and building revenue streams and implementing systems and making sure that their practices are inclusive when it comes to their fundraising. And then outside of my actual work commitments, I continue my commitment to the nonprofit sector by being engaged in a number of different boards, including the Young Nonprofit Professionals, the Massachusetts Chapter, of AFP and the Massachusetts chapter of Democrats for Education Reform, just to name a few. So I'm very (laughs) busy in the nonprofit sector.
0: Right. And what is more traditionally defined as, you know, the, the kind of professional charity sector, as opposed to, as you mentioned, community work coming from lots of other spaces where people learn how to relate to bigger groups of people, learn how to talk to them about what's important to change in their communities and how to do that. But bringing the resources to the table for that does tend to get thought of in this, you know, kind of traditional. Here's what fundraising looks like: we do grant writing, we do these things, um, and you've been talking to people and exploring this idea of fundraising while black. Uh, thinking about that in in this newer context of not everybody in this space has always looked like you and this is a different thing for how you know black and brown people and, and other people of color approach and and get into this so when did you start noticing that this is just a different experience for you and wanting to talk more broadly about that
1: yeah, I mean, I've noticed it very early on, which is quite sad to say, because, I mean, like I said, I've been in this sector for a really long time, in my personal opinion. And it was very early on, even before my professional years in the sector, that I realized that in this space, I was going to have a, a steeper hill to climb, just because my counterparts, for the most part, didn't look like me in this whole system of the nonprofit sector and the, the philanthropy institution as it is wasn't built with people that look like me and mine. So I've, I've always kind of known that I was going to have to work a little bit harder to make space in this sector for myself so that there was a shift in how things were being perceived, especially as someone who often represents the communities that are being served, but also is Charged with representing the organization doing the survey.
0: Right. So um, uh, there's a, a challenge, I think, a little bit in that if you're, you know, trying to keep your job and you want to stay in this uh, more traditional role, maybe there's this expectation or assumption. But you decided to break out and talk about that more openly, and maybe not everybody feels comfortable doing that. So first of all, thank you for taking that risk and coming out and talking about it. Um, but how have you decided to have those conversations? And you know, has have workplaces always been supportive? Has there been a little bit of pushback going, yeah, boy, if you do that publicly, you know maybe we get uncomfortable and uh, do you get any of that or have people been with you?
1: Oh, yeah, I definitely get a lot of that. I think that as a sector, especially specific to fundraising, we're always really concerned with the perception of things and how things will be received. And we don't want to push people's buttons because we really want to continue this narrative of having folks think that they're coming in and they're saving the situation, and they're 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 not rebel rousers. They're just they're they're all well intended and they're they're doing the good. And while, yes, like you can be well intended, but there you could still have malice in your well intentioned actions because there is this underlying bias that folks aren't not trying to have conversations about, and that's kind of why I started to really speak out about the fact that, like yes, you are well intended, but your well intentions are are underlined with a ton of bias that actually does our our sector and our work it doesn't do us any good.
0: Right, actively promoting harm in many cases with these assumptions, uh, I I think. So as challenging that and and asking both people you work directly with in the sector, but also donors to start thinking about this differently. Are are there places you like to be, in that conversation, to have folks that maybe haven't thought about um, just exactly how narrow their perspective may be, to bring them in and go, the fundraising world and nonprofits in general can and should be different in some of the ways than they are, but you maybe haven't thought about it yet. So let's start that conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, instantly, I always think about the power dynamic that fundraising and the nonprofit sector was built on. So, The nonprofit sector was started so that you folks with power and with money could support those who are who are deemed under resourced and uh, like Mm -hmm. they they didn't have what they needed. And while that is well intended, it's also very troubling and problematic because it continues to to kind of inform how we, we are operating as a nonprofit sector. And so there's a lot of racially challenged power dynamics that end up coding how the sector is moving. So as as a sector, you'll find that there's lots of coded language that is that is used so that, one, you're making your donors and the folks who are partnering or supporting you, you're making them feel like they continue to have that power while st- while undermining the community that you're you're trying to serve and your mission is in in action for. So you by having that coded language and having those power dynamics still be present, that therein lies the problem with our sector and makes fundraising while black really hard for someone like me and my counterparts because we're we're stuck in the middle of well. I'm trying to manage and work through these power dynamics, but I'm also a part of this community, and I don't want to harm that community. I I want to see that community thrive.
0: So I can think of some examples of this, both on the individual donor side and also on the grant side. Do you um, find yourself working in one of those spaces more than another in terms of institutional giving versus individual donors? Or you see this all over? What's your experience that way?
1: Yeah, I've definitely seen it all over. I think now in my current role, I am very focused on individuals. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I work at a place like YW where a lot of the individuals that I am working with, they are ready to have those conversations and talk about the biases that are informing the practices around fundraising, but I've also been at places where that wasn't the case. And while it wasn't the case, it really caused tension and friction for me as I was trying to operate as a fundraiser who was trying to be well-intended and well-informed to my community, but also be excellent at my job because in, right. in order for me to continue to be a fundraiser, I kind of have to portray this like essence of excellence. And there there isn't room for me to make mistakes and and kind of challenge things because I, I'm already at a disadvantage because I didn't come into the situation with those power dynamics. I'm not navigating the same circles as those with those power dynamics. Because, I mean, quite frankly, like I grew up where it was just me and my parents and they were both immigrants and they they're not they're not handing off this powerful network of folks that mm. can help me advance my career the way that some of my my white counterparts have
0: yeah so let me ask you about a specific example of that part of it that might be a little bit more donor advised funds but maybe a little high end donor too because i think there's a lot of people in the sector that are really struggling with this Huge amount of money that's been invested into very small numbers of people uh, that are using tools like donor advised funds to their contribution you are intentionally um, hidden. The, the 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 people that are making those contributions are using those tools to stay, um, you know, separated from the public scrutiny of somebody that maybe gives a substantial amount of money. And if you don't know who they are, just because you know who they are, there's not really any way to find that out and start a conversation with them. And um, that to me has been really challenging in this work, as more and more resource seems to be kind of pouring into those types of tools to go to the folks that I. I work with going well who do you know that you know has some connection there because there's no public way for me to find ways for us to connect to those people about our missions you know there there's only these informal networks of somebody and I, you know if i don't know them there doesn't seem to be a way in is that one of those things that you're kind of seeing in your work or is it manifest differently
1: It definitely is one of the ways I find that donor advised funds have like the least transparency in the the fundraising space at this moment. I think that they, they have the benefits of the grant making process, but they also have the benefits of being an anonymous donor and that lack of transparency only heightens the power dynamic that's created and that exclusive nature of the fundraising circle that is hard for someone like me to break into because again it comes with a lot of long-standing previous connections and power um, power dynamics that I don't have access to and in order for me to have access to them it, it means that I'm again working 10 times as hard as some of my my counterparts. And because I'm working 10 times as hard, I am going to find myself burnt out a lot sooner than folks that are in the space.
0: Which is a problem in fundraising in general, let alone more specifically, you know, black and brown communities trying to overcome additional barriers to the work on top of just how difficult some of the assumptions and um, uh, hopes are for fundraisers to just kind of materialize resources out of thin air sometimes. Um, So that's, I I get what you're saying. And I think that that's an important understanding. Uh, So talk with people about that. Are there ideas that you're proposing of how do we start recognizing, you know, some of those more hidden things, some of the coded language pieces, and surfacing them intentionally so that people are, are, you know, confronted with that.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things for sure is, I think it starts with acknowledging what, what the, the institution of fundraising and the institution that nonprofits were built on, what what they were built on, pretty much, like just naming it for what it is. So we know that the nonprofit sector and fundraising is an old boys club and the the sector, I say this all the time, it's very white, it's very male. Um and that's just kind of how it is. And I think folks try to avoid naming that and spending the time avoiding naming the fact that there are a bunch of white males in this sector is part of the problem. Because by not saying that there is this, this underlying perception or not even perception, the underlying existence of being white and male in this sector, that like prevails continuously that by not acknowledging that you, you're continuing to perpetuate that, and so by perpetuating that, you're continuing to allow for there to be avenues for folks like me and my, and my other black and brown um, counterparts to feel isolated and have the to feel have to feel the way that they feel when they they're doing their work because they can't they can't afford to make a mistake because they have to prove themselves. In this space, because there are not a lot of people that look like them in the space. So that's one thing for sure. Just naming it for what it is, and not sugarcoating the fact that that this is what our sector is shaped, uh, how our sector our sector is shaped right now, and that there there is it's time for change. And with that change, yeah. I think there's a lot that goes into it. I think that. There is a lack of trust for, for black and brown folks in this space. And that's another part of the problem.
0: I want to ask you about that trust component in a moment, but I want to um, ask you a little bit more about the uh, the power shift and dynamic with uh, cishet white men in the sector, because I think sometimes that gets shifted off to, well, if you look at people that are employed in nonprofit organizations, there are more women employed in the whole sector, but they don't occupy the positions of power in general in the ways that you're talking about. They're not the board of directors, leaders, they're not the top staff people, that kind of thing. So when you dive into where the power resides, I think you are going to see exactly what you're talking about, but it's maybe something people hide behind when they go, no, there's lots of women that work here, or there's, you know, you know whatever other kind of thing that might be thrown out, but but I do think that if you start getting into especially boards um but uh, but certain staff too, you see exactly what you're talking about. Do you ever see that kind of pushback like, no, no, there's there's more women in the nonprofit sector than there are in government and corporate jobs. you know, we're doing this better.
1: yeah, I think that the nonprofit sector loves to lump. Um, demographics so that it looks better for for the sector. But oftentimes, even something as simple as like diversity, um, they lump all minorities together. But when you really break it down and look at those numbers by individual demographics, they're their, the diversity that they're claiming to have isn't as robust as the sector is saying, and so that also goes for the the fact that like at leadership levels they're going to say that we have we have women in power and we have um, we have folks of color in power, but again they are condensing those numbers into one large groups so that it looks better and i think that's when we really start to peel back and look at that data that's when you're going to be able to acknowledge the fact that the the power dynamic is still there even though widely the the sector doesn't doesn't reflect that because It looks like there are a lot of women and the data shows that there there's diversity in the sector. But again, you have to peel back that data and really take a look under that hood and understand what what the data is really showing.
0: And particularly bad in the. Fundraising development areas, I, I think, because as you're pointing out, uh, the um, the folks that we are trying to raise money from are, you know, disproportionately uh, th- those same empowered individuals of the past. Uh, a lot of cis hat white men in these corporate uh, foundation type positions, all that kind of stuff. Um, and if that's who you're trying to play to, there may be either a conscious or a unconscious bias to go, well, we want our fundraising staff to you know, be able to blend into that space. So let's get people that are, you know, whatever. It may not even be thought of as directly as that, but I, I it seems like um, that is a de facto, the, the sector's been operating for the last 20 years anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, Especially, like you said, especially in the fundraising space, it's the reason why um, you don't see a lot of people of color in frontline fundraising roles. So I am now in a frontline fundraising role, and I have felt that I've been ready for a frontline fundraising role for a while. But as I was moving through my roles in the fundraising space, it took a very long time for me to, to get any frontline fundraising experience because oftentimes it was, oh, so-and-so would have a better um, connection with, with Bob because Bob and, and so-and-so have similar upbringings and they, they're going to be able to relate. Who's to say that I wouldn't be able to relate with that person just because I didn't come from that same um, upbringing? And I think that's often what what organizations used to hold fundraisers of color back. And that, too, is part of the problem. You you need to start trusting folks of color to to be able to have those conversations with people and really connect them to your mission in a way that you're not you're probably not gonna get from Bob or Billy who are coming at the coming with to coming to the conversation with the same experience as the people that they're going to speak with. So I come yeah. in and I have a different perception of what the work does for the community. And that while like while yes you want to build connection, you also are focused on the impact that your organization is trying to achieve. And by having someone who can speak to the impact in a different way that will shine a, 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 a more positive light in some situations on the work that th- your organization is doing, why not give that person the opportunity to do that so that you are your organization can cont- continue to make that impact?
0: Yeah, I, I want to get back to that thought too. But I also just a moment ago um, said I wanted to ask you to expand a little bit more on this um, trust issue. where you the same levels of trust uh, with the black and brown fundraisers as with others? Um, what what is that like? How does that manifest?
1: Yeah. So I like I said with with trust, it's giving black and brown fundraisers the opportunity to go about their work and not have to feel undermined by the fact that they don't have similar lived experiences as the folks that they are having those conversations with. And I think that's often the case. And the reason, again, like I said earlier, the reason why Black and Brown fundraisers are often looked over when it's time to look for frontline fundraisers, but... To, to be quite honest, like black and brown leaders are, or fundraisers who are leaders as well, are able to have those conversations. But because there's a lack of trust that is kind of built into the, the organization, they don't have that opportunity. And it's also, it's honestly a missed opportunity for the organization. I think that um, organizations need to kind of shift the narrative and how they're talking about the, the communities that they serve, as opposed to focusing on that that deficit based language that that often is um, the the way that folks are talking about the communities that they are served. Often, black and brown fundraisers mm-hmm. are coming in and they can speak to the more asset based um, perspective of that community because. They they understand what that community has to offer in a different way than than other folks. But because um, that's not the traditional way of fundraising and and talking about our work in the space, there the black and brown fundraisers aren't trusted to have those conversations. And and there's the there's not the there's no there's no trust in how thinking that those dollars are going to come in from having those asset-based conversations that black and brown fundraisers often try and have.
0: Yeah, no, I see that disconnect too when I'm looking at the world where there is, and maybe here's a good moment to shift a little bit to the grant um, question a little bit, because I think grant makers that I see are, are often... Um, calling for uh, more engagement in leadership positions from communities of color, more women in these roles. Um, they agree to those things. However, the 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 implication in practice doesn't usually transition that same way where, where they kind of talk about that uh, as something they want, but it doesn't seem to be that that's where the money always goes uh, in terms of that more asset-based selection thing, that if you use that language, um, and and they say they're calling for it, but it doesn't, for whatever obvious reasons um, end up happening, that just makes it harder to do that work if they're saying they want to hear those things, but then the folks that have our vested interest in maintaining that power status quo where you know you're you're kind of playing to that uh you know you're coming in and doing all this great good for these poor unfortunate people aren't you grant makers? such a wonderful thing thank you so much for your you know uh, money that we're now going to be able to spend to do this um so i i've been seeing and noticing that too but uh, it's so difficult, or at least I haven't figured a good way yet to kind of hold that up. And how, and how do you seek some accountability there? Because I think a lot of people that work in fundraising feel like if we start talking about that too much, you know, our next grant application is just a lot less likely to be well-received, or at least it feels that way.
1: Yeah, I think that that is definitely the how it feels for sure. And I think part of it is as you look at who's getting funded, it it's often not the the black and brown leaders of color that are getting funded. Black and brown led nonprofits are underfunded like drastically. It's it's no secret. There has been plenty of articles and think pieces around this. And yet um, grant makers are continuing to have black and brown leaders jump through hoops so that they can, prove that they, again, this goes back to the trust thing, that they're trustworthy um, and that they ha- can be held accountable for these dollars that they're bestowing upon them. And, and they're continuing to perpetuate that, like, well, we are bestowing this great honor on you while, like, that's not mm-hmm. what you're, you're set out to do. You're supposed to be supporting communities. And instead, you're you're continuing to perpetuate this power dynamic that you have because you are implying that Black and Brown leaders are less trustworthy, and so they aren't getting they aren't getting funded at the same rate as those um, white-led organizations. And so Instead of spending time having black and brown leaders of color look for sponsors and ways into to show that show to these grant makers that they have um, credibility, just fund black and brown leaders as they are create are doing work and creating impact in communities, because that is what your organization, your your grant making is about it's about making an impact but instead you're you're more focused on the power dynamic that your your organization has because of this eliteness
0: so some really big challenges out there and you stepped into this space anyway so what but is it about the work that you feel like it's it's worthy of taking on this challenge and pushing people to start thinking about this and making some changes rather than just go, well, you know what? There's going to be an, an, an easier job somewhere else. So
1: I mean, I mean yeah, I mean, I stepped into the space knowing that fundraising while Black would not be easy. But at the same time, I knew that having someone who looks like me in the space would hopefully and lead to more people that look like me in the space so that we can start to see a shift in how the narrative around grant making and fundraising is, is perceived and how it's being carried out. Because at the end of the day, again, nonprofits are here to support and make an impact in the community. And I firmly believe that if we have the right people and the right mindset within the sector, there is there's hope that one day the the nonprofit space won't need to exist because we have eliminated those things that create the bias and the the perception of the power dynamics so with those gone communities will actually be able to thrive and and be prosperous in the way that that they need to be and not have to have some some superhero come in and dictate how the community needs to to carry out its everyday life.
0: Yeah, let me ask you about that part because I'm working with an organization uh, in a primarily Black community in Minneapolis right now that's looking at some housing issues, both because you know there's problems with rentals and all the rest of it, but largely because you know it's a wealth gap problem um, that is manifesting in all sorts of other ways. And when we talk about solving that. It's a substantially bigger um, inequity in terms of how much money is it going to take to actually start cracking that particular product. And I think one of the challenges, how most fundraising is set up in terms of funds or whatever is, you know, you can apply for $50,000 or $100,000 or lucky five hundred thousand dollars and those types of grants in case of closing wealth gap stuff is going to help a couple few families right and then we've got a systemic thing that we really need investment in that if we push and and really make that happen it's going to fundamentally change an awful lot of other things but it's going to take a lot more than just a little here and a little there around the edges which seems to me where some grantors want to stay uh so but when you see that and you know that and you come to the table and go, you know, your $100,000 is a good start, but you know, we really got a, a lot more to do. Otherwise, we're just kind of playing at the edges of a longer term problem that isn't going to get better. That's uh, maybe something that the, the sector doesn't do very often. At least I don't see it happen very often. We don't push that very much. Is that just an inherent part of what you're talking about or is there some different angle on that?
1: Yeah, I think that oftentimes, the so I, I also see that, like, grantmakers, they're, they're, they're their purse straps are a little tight, and they're not willing to, you know, just loosen them up a little bit so that, you know, real impact can happen, and part of that is based in the fact that they want to continue to have this, this sense of power and have this elite um Eliteness that comes along with being a grant maker, but by like giving all of the dollars away so quickly, they feel like they'll they'll lose their eliteness and they'll lose their power because at the end of the day, uh, I mean, money is power in our society right now, and if you you don't have the dollars, then you're you're not going to have the power, and grant makers aren't going to want to. Give, a, give up their power because they want to stay relevant and they want to have have this sense of importance in the community. But at the end of the day, you're, you're founded and the, what you're, you're set out to do is to impact and support those communities. And by being so stuck in the fact that you want to continue to have power, you are not living your mission in true form, because you're so focused on the power dynamics of it all.
0: Which I I think is a worsening problem which is concerning to a lot of us i think that um there you know when i started doing this work i, I felt like that was there then and i as, as wealth continues to disproportionately flow to the top um I, I think that the the need to do some major shifting of those resources in order to start solving some of these problems is actually getting harder to do and, and not getting any better uh, but it it seems like you know if we're investing in a broader range of voices uh, to do it, that the fundraising while black may help us get to that part of the problem faster than just kind of doing the things we've been doing with the same type of people we've been doing them with for the last 35 years. Um, but it's a it's a big challenge to say we as a whole sector need to um, come together around these ideas of bigger investment towards actual problem solving and not just putting a band-aid on the surface of some things and a way to do that is to invest in those black and brown those people of color fundraisers that are going to um, be there to help us you know all show up in a in a more meaningful way towards that change that's a huge order how do, how do you Seek to you know make sure you don't burn out through this process of trying to stay engaged with that. Do you you have support networks you work with, or are there tactics that you work with to try and and stay in it, and rather than than surrendering to that tension?
1: Yeah, I well the one thing that I always make sure to do when working with an organization is. Advocate for space for growth. I think that oftentimes, like I've said earlier b- before, there is this need to pr- um, prove yourself, and in, in the 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 sense that you can't make a mistake in this space. But that that is what's going to lead to a lot of the burnout for for everyone, not just black and brown folks. But in this particular instance, I'm speaking um, for about black and brown folks. So having that I can't afford to make mistakes, I need to prove myself mentality doesn't bode well for for your growth, because you're not you're not thinking critically in a way that is going to allow for you to be a better fundraiser in the end and actually achieve what you want in the space. So And at the end of the day, like anyone else in the space, black and brown fundraisers want to advance in their career. So there needs to be room for growth. So I always spend time advocating for space for growth. I'm not coming into any role saying I know everything and anything about about fundraising, but I'm coming in and saying I know a great deal and I want to be able to continue to grow that that knowledge that I already have. And I want an organization that's going to be willing to support me as I continue to grow. And I think that's really important for black and brown fundraisers um, because we're often not afforded that, that opportunity for growth. I also to me, like, but... go
0: ahead. No, please finish your thought. I
1: like, I also like to, to tell myself that I, I need to, advocate for my, my value as a black and brown as a black fundraiser and this goes along for other black and brown fundraisers as well. I I think that oftentimes our experience our experience in the space and our experiences, our lived experiences in general aren't valued in a way that is significant to the nonprofit sector. And it actually adds a great deal of value because it's an added perspective that isn't often at the table. And I think that's also part of the shift, changing the the perspective at the t- table so that it's not just one view, but there are multiple views that are informing how you're going to carry out your practices within the sector. And I think that often, as black and brown fundraisers, we are our value is undervalued quite point blank period because where it's not deemed as as powerful as the dynamic as someone who's coming with a great network to support their their work in this sector
0: so uh, I think uh, I'm, I want to go back to your experience, uh, that, that thing you were just saying a moment ago about um, needing some more room for growth. In in my experience, that is something that comes with more time. And I think that that is been a challenge for fundraisers in general, where, you know, if maybe some unrealistic goals aren't met in six months or a year or whatever, the 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 thought is we need to change staff we'll just you know get somebody else it's that's the breaking point here and if they're not investing enough time in those staff people to be able to grow into those do the work and show that value and do the rest of it then um you know it's just this constant iteration of a year here or a year there and you know somebody gets tired
1: i think that often in this space as a black woman and even for brown and black men in um, in this space, they have, we have this, we have to look at the goals that are set for us. And we're, we're often not able to have, have the dialogue and the pushback with leadership around this. And so we're, we're quick to want to jump around to find a place that's going to value the, the work in, that we're able to, to put out and then also value our growth. But oftentimes with that, you're also put in the situation where you are put you're you're searching for that next place. And most of the times when other when when white fundraisers are leaving their their previous roles, it's a step up. Oftentimes mm-hmm. it's harder for for a black and brown fundraiser to find that step up and and find their and while they're searching for their next role, because there there's this added layer of, wealth, are they going to be able to attain, achieve all these goals? So you're kind of set right back into that cycle of, well, there's this unattainable goal that's set. And now because I wasn't able to attain that goal, I'm deemed like incompetent in the space, even though the goal was never something that was going to be achievable to begin with.
0: Yeah. But I got to think Think is just more difficult and I think acknowledging that publicly in the way that you're talking about all of these things that um a little understanding of, but not a lot, and getting it more um, a conversation that more people are having, and not limited to just you know the the black and brown fundraisers that are trying to have that conversation, but for the rest of us to pick up some um, of that conversation and uh, start asking for those same things for our colleagues that are coming in. Um, you know, I work independently of of organizations as a contractor, and I think that's such a different space to come in for shorter term engagement and see that, you know, who's getting the chance to develop more over time? What are the expectations? What does that look like? And um, it is such a challenging part of what has happened so far, but that doesn't mean that that too can't change and evolve with more support from a lot more people. We're we're starting to run a little low on time, so I think I just want to – ask you to, to uh, think about as you have these conversations in your work and you know more broadly on uh, Dom Profit and your social channel, what are you seeing things going? Are, are there specific directions of new conversations that you're seeing more energy towards or directions that you'd recommend we try to kind of move forward on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am really um, looking forward to the space really acknowledging um, what where the the roots of this uh, this institution come from and how that is going to change the perception of language and and the trust that is built into the sector I'm really interested in seeing that and the different um, communities that are coming out of it. I'm really interested in seeing some of the work coming out of community-centric fundraising and changing the um, how we're thinking about how we engage with our donors. I'm loving all the energy around um, fundraising and equity and just creating equity in the fundraising space. There are lots of groups that I've seen kind of become really popular and people are starting to support. Um, One group in particular that I am a part of that I think has um, great potential and is doing great things for the fundraising space in terms of equity, specifically for women of color, is the Rooted Collaborative, Um, and just really giving the opportunity for for folks of color to have a space to have these conversations and so that once they are out and having those conversations out of that affinity space, there there's less of a, a fear of, well, I'm alone in this because, again, there's this real sense of isolation currently when it comes to fundraising and equity um, and having spaces like the Rooted Collaborative and think um, initiatives like community-centric coming um, and kind of trying to shift the narrative around how we're talking to our donors. Things like that are really going to help um, Black and Brown fundraisers feel less isolated because there's a community that they can can look to that is also trying to to shift that um, that narrative.
0: Outstanding. Uh, Dominique, I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation and to share that with the listeners and hopefully they'll share this with more people and we'll get this conversation happening in more spaces still and and gather some more energy behind these changes. So I'm really grateful that you took the time to do this. Uh, Dominique is uh, at Dom Profit on social channels, is a fundraiser and thought leader for the nonprofit sector. Dominique, thanks so much for, for your time today.
1: Thanks so much for having me and having this conversation on your platform.